Good morning. It's great to be with you today. Uh, my name is Kyle. I'm one of the pastors here at City Church. I'm usually on the stage during this portion of our services together. And so um, I just want to introduce myself again. I know we've added to our numbers since I preached last. It's been a while. And so I know there's some newer folks in here and some new folks that have joined our congregation over the last several months. And if you don't um, get to church on time, you don't know who I am because I do the welcome. And so if you're fashionably late, which I understand is a, is a great look for some people, um, then, then you don't know me. So I want to be able to reintroduce myself to some of you. I'm one of the pastors here. I've been a pastor here at City Church since the summer of 2014, um, soon after the launch of our church. And my role here is primarily one of administration and operations of the church, and then equipping and leadership development of our ministers and ministries of City Church. If you drop off elementary age kids, you saw my wife standing next to me when we dedicated uh, Rayleigh. Uh, she's over on that side. If you check in an elementary age kid, you know her, Jessica Hendrickson, our kids minister. And then, uh, like I mentioned, we have three girls. Yes, three girls. Please pray for me daily. Three girls, Hope's eight, Zoe is six, and Remy is three. And we truly are, we honored, and we count it one of life's greatest joys and privileges to serve this family, this faith family, this church together. And so if it's your first time here this morning, or perhaps you've been coming for a few weeks and I just haven't had the chance to meet you or get to know you, then I just encourage you at the end of the service, just come up, shake my hand, at least give me a chance to learn your name. I would love to get to know you after the service. And we've been walking through Hebrews together over the last several weeks, starting on Easter Sunday, and uh, we are picking up back in Hebrews chapter 3 today. So if you have your Bibles, you can open up to Hebrews chapter 3. We'll be in verses 7 through 19. And as a little reminder of the background of Hebrews, we're unsure of who the author is because it doesn't directly state who wrote the book of Hebrews, but we can infer and assume based on the title Hebrews that the letter was written and addressed to a Jewish community that had converted to Christianity, a Messianic Jew, if you will. And that's why you'll see throughout the book, and if you read this kind of throughout the week as we're studying this together over this series, you'll see a lot of references to the Old Testament and even quotes of Old Testament Scripture throughout the book. And we see a lot of that in the passage we're going to look at this morning. The difference is looking at those Old Testament Scriptures in this book, relating it to the power and the work of Christ and the Gospel in what was then and is still now a New Testament living. So, before we begin, let's open our Bibles to chapter 3 and read chapter 3, verses 7 through 19 together and see what the Lord has for us through the reading of His Word and then the study of it. So if you follow with me, starting in verse 7. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they will not enter my rest. Verse 12, take care, brothers, lest there be any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said, check it out, another 
reference to the Old Testament, another quote. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. You look at that, you might have been like me reading it. You're like, that's a lot of great words, Cal. Can't really understand any of them. And it is. It's a difficult passage to try to look at and kind of expound. And so I had to look and uh, read works of guys that are smarter than me and people that have gone before me to try and get an idea of what the Lord would have for us this morning through this passage in chapter 3 of Hebrews. And through some study this week, I see this passage divided into two parts and really two points that we're going to look at this morning. The first is in the first few verses, 7 through 11, we see this overarching theme of learning from past failure. So we're going to look at learning from past failure, and then in the rest of the chapter, in the rest of those verses, 12 through 19, we're going to look at perseverance to endure. So learning from past failure and perseverance to endure. Both of these things communicated with a sense of urgency and a sense of obedience that can come only through faith, as we'll see as we study through these verses. So starting with the first point, learning from past failure. We think about that, that, that name, just learning from past failure. How often is that true within our own lives? Students, you take tests. We work on projects. We present things at work. We're a part of games. We're a part of competitions. We learn from failures. How often does a, does a team watch film after a game? Why do they do that? Why do teachers offer tutoring or redos after a failing test grade? Why do we sit and listen to stories of our parents or grandparents that always start with, well, back in my day. Or, when I was about your age, things were different. Or, you know, hey, you better sit down because this is going to take a while. We learn from those that have gone before us. We learn from the past mistakes or failures. Not because we want to just dig people in because they failed and look at them, they didn't do it right. But we can learn from failures. We can learn from those that have gone before us. And through that, through looking at those bad examples, we look to change the trajectory, trajectory or the outcome of our future or of the future endeavors. So, in verses 7 through 11, the author is quoting, in God's perfect way, another 7 through 11. Back in the Old Testament, in the book of Psalms, chapter 95, he quotes the exact same scripture that you would find there. Describing the Israelites' wilderness wanderings after they had been delivered from Egypt. Despite the fact that God provided constantly and proved his love, his care, his provision for them and their every need, the Israelites complained. They grumbled and they continued to rebel and sin against the Lord instead of committing to him in faith and obedience. This then, as we read, resulted in punishment from the Lord and not to enter this rest, this physical rest that he had prepared for them, which we know, looking back to Old, Old, Old Testament, was the promised land. Because of their disobedience, because of their rebellion, he did not let them enter that physical rest that he had prepared for his people. And he's providing this reminder and reference to the failure of the ancestors, or he uses the word your fathers in verse 9, so that we can learn and not repeat this pattern. Right? Learning from the past failures so that we wouldn't repeat the pattern and the readers of the day would not repeat that same pattern. 
He's also setting the stage for a gospel impact that we'll see in the next few verses. What was known as God's rest, we look to in the Old Testament, that physical rest, that promised land. But now we don't point to a physical rest anymore. We don't point to a location in this New Testament living, but we point to the person, the person and Savior, Jesus Christ. He is our rest. He is our only hope. You see, the Israelites failed to trust God and fell back into their sinful ways and thus were not able to enter the promised land. And another reason I think the author recalls this rebellion of the Israelites is to remind us that we too stand in danger of God's judgment or wrath if we do not listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit and turn from our old ways, repent, and believe. We'll fall back into that same pattern. We also see this urgency that I mentioned, this urgency of obedience on full display as the author, through these few verses, repeats the word today three times. Three times he repeats today through this short passage, communicating to the converted Jews of the day, do not harden your hearts with the deceitfulness of sin. Listen to God, repent, believe, believe in the finished work of Jesus Christ. See, church, for the audience then and for us now, we can enter that rest. Unlike the forefathers, unlike the Israelites, we can enter that rest through salvation in Jesus and our eternity secured forever because of the finished work of Christ. But, that's a big but here. That's kind of funny. (laughs) But I don't believe that the author is not simply just speaking to our eternal security. I don't. Because if it was just speaking to our eternal security, if it was just for our justification of sins and for us to be saved, then what would be the point of leaving us here? No, he's not speaking just to our eternal security. You see, at the moment of salvation, at the moment that you say yes to Jesus, we enter that rest. The rest that the author's talking about, when we are transformed by the gospel, when we ask the Holy Spirit to come into our lives and take over, we enter that rest. Why do we enter that rest? Because there's this spiritual promise from God that we read in Scripture, that we've lived out, that we know that through Jesus, never again are we striving, never are we laboring, never are we working to achieve through some sort of personal effort a righteousness that would be pleasing or accepted by God. We are accepted through Jesus. So we don't have to work. We're not trying to scale, balance the scales We're not trying to get enough good deeds on this side that cancels out the bad. Jesus did it all. What Christ accomplished on the cross for us over 2,000 years ago was the finished work of redemption and payment for sin. There's no more striving. There's no more working for acceptance by God. There's a reason that Jesus, while he was hanging on the cross, before he died, he yelled out, it is finished. And it was, once and for all and for all eternity. Amen. My wife says frequently over here to our church, to the kids in church, um, in kids' church, whatever that's called, with the elementary age kids. She says this, there's nothing we can do that's good enough to earn salvation. And there's nothing too bad that we can do to lose it. Isn't that a beautiful truth? That when we accept Christ into our lives, when we're transformed by the gospel, there's nothing that we can do to leave the grip of God's hand. Once he's got us in his hand, he will never let us go. He holds us fast. He holds us firm. Do we sin? Yes, we do. 
but God's forgiven it, past, present, future, in one redemptive act on the cross. But past salvation, we can learn from the Israelites because if there's a reason that God kept us here, it's not just so that we would sit here and just not do anything until God calls us home, but that we would be sanctified, that we would grow in our submission to the Lordship of Christ, that we would be made more holy each and every day, and each and every day we would learn to look more like Jesus And so we can learn from the past failures, specifically the failure of the Israelites in this passage, and trust in Jesus and the gospel to change our hearts, to change the trajectory in this life and into the next. So we learn from past failures, point number one. And the second thing I want to focus on this morning is our perseverance to endure. The perseverance to endure. This next section of verses, verses 12 through 19, the author moves from showing Israel's failure to believe and encourage and then challenge us to not fall into that same unbelief. We are encouraged to endure in our faith, to avoid the destruction and downfall of an unbelieving heart, one that is hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. These are great. That's what you're sitting there. You're like, Kyle, awesome, great things. Like, I don't want to be, my heart to be hardened. I, I don't want to be deceived by sin. I, I, I do want to stay true and hold fast to Christ, his promises, his directions, his guide to us. But how do, we, how do I do that? Like, what's the way to do this? How do we persevere? How do we keep from, as verse 12 says, falling away from the living God? There's one thing. And if you take one thing away this morning, it's this. How do we do this? Community with fellow believers. That's it. Community with fellow Believers. Church, you wonder why we speak so highly about community around this place. Why we encourage you to come to our one-on-one class, which, by the way, is after our 1045 services today. We'd love for you to come. It's free lunch. It's free child care. Quick plug. But we encourage you to do that. We encourage you to join us for monthly prayer and community nights, the second and fourth Sunday of every month. We encourage you to move toward Covenant Partnership, the 201 class, so that you would link arms with us, that you would partner with us to push back on the darkness in Melissa and see the gospel go out and see more reached with Christ. We ask you to attend a weekly Bible study, to serve regularly with one of our ministry teams, whether on Sunday mornings or throughout the week, and then to step into an authentic discipleship relationship where you're known, where you're challenged, where you're held accountable, where you can study God's word one-on-one or one-on-two with other people and you can carry one another's burdens. The reason that we do all of those things is because of verses 12 through 14. Look at them again. Take care, brothers, lest there be any of you an unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. The way to protect us from falling away, the way to protect our hearts from hardening, from being deceived by sin, is immersing ourselves in a local gospel-believing and gospel-driven church being in community with other believers. And not just tiptoeing in, but similar to how we celebrate baptisms, which you did a few weeks ago. We are immersed in the water. 
We are dead to our old selves. We are displaying the fact that God has transformed our life and we come out of the water transformed into a new creation, displaying Christ's goodness, His gospel, and His salvation in our lives. Similar, we are to immerse ourselves in the local church. Not just kind of tiptoe around it, but immerse yourselves. And the reason is, not again to get on a scorecard, not to check a box, not anything like that, but that we would not be deceived and we wouldn't fall away from the living God. In 1 Peter chapter 5, which is a couple of books after Hebrews, verse 8, it reads, The evil one prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. What's the easiest prey for a lion to devour? Is it the gazelle that's a part of the herd of a hundred? Is he going to try to fight off all those hundred gazelle? Or is he going to find this one over here that's kind of wandering by himself? Isolated. Injured, perhaps. That's where the lion's going to go after. He's going to go after the easy prey. You see, church, we were created for unity with God, first and foremost, and then unity with one another. Because when we're unified, we are part of that herd, and it is much more difficult for the evil one to prowl around and lure us in and destroy us if we're a part of a gospel-believing, gospel-centered community. We need the encouragement of the church. We need to be surrounded by fellow believers to help cast light on sin, to admonish and challenge each other in the things of God, and to be reminded of the freedom and that rest that you have when you say yes to Jesus. We need that reminder that the trials and the tribulations and the temptations are only for a moment in this life but we have something more to look forward to. We have a hope and a rest in Christ alone. So there's two priorities in that. Faith in Christ is priority number one. And so if you're in this room this morning and you've not said yes to Jesus, you've not said yes to placing your faith and trust completely in him and his finished work and payment for sin on the cross, then I encourage you to do that today. As the writer would say, do it today. There's, as long as it's called today. Don't put off till tomorrow what needs to be done today. Place your faith in Christ in Him. I would love to talk to, you about you, talk to you about that after this service. Our elders would love to talk to you about who Jesus is. And the reason that you're in this room today is not just because you happen to wander into this building today, but God sovereignly and in His perfect plan put you in a seat today so that you would hear the gospel and you would be transformed by the redemptive power of Jesus Christ. There's nothing more important I could do then have a conversation with you about who Jesus is, how he changed my life, and how he desires to change yours. So priority one is faith in Christ. Priority number two, be in gospel community. Be in gospel community. One that encourages one another. One that exhorts one another. Challenges one another. Prays for one another. Holds one another accountable so that we could, as it says, hold firm and fast to our faith. And church, I say this to believers. Because that's really who this is written to. I say this to believers. If you're not a believer, go back to faith priority number one. Place your faith in Christ. Then you can listen to this. Because this is what it's really applying to as believers of the day. If you're not regularly involved in gospel community, and please listen to me. And this is not to make you feel bad. But if you're not regularly involved in gospel community and pursuing an active and growing discipleship relationship, you will be devoured. Not you might not be devoured. You will be devoured. It may not be today. It may not be this week or even this month. 
But when you are not a part of the herd, when you are not a part of the community, when you are not protected by the church that you are a part of and you are growing and learning in the ways of the Lord and being admonished and cared for and challenged by the unity of the gospel in this community, you will be isolated and you will be devoured because that's what the evil one wants to do is seek you like a lion prowling to devour. Be in community with one another. There's a quote out of an Experiencing God devotional we have at our house, which, by the way, if you haven't gone through Experiencing God by Henry Blackaby, that's an old study from the 90s. I get it. It should be just re-released. It'd be brand new to a lot of people. It'd be awesome. But it is a life-changing study. I would encourage it. It's a black cover. It's awesome. Experiencing God by Henry Blackaby. But we have a devotional at home. And in God's perfect plan, as I was reading through it this week, this quote stuck out to me, and I think it... It, it, it just explains, and I think it further proves this point that we're trying to see out of Hebrews 3 today. But Henry Blackaby, he wrote in this devotional, the world encourages you to live your own life, taking care of your own needs and wants first. Listen to this. Sin promotes independence. It isolates you from others, separates you from those you could help or who could encourage you. But check this out. God designed you for interdependence. Sin promotes independence, isolation, by yourself, all all alone. I can do this on my own. But God designed us for unity. He designed us for community. He designed us for interdependence with one another. He designed us for community. So what are some changes, friends, that you need to make in your own life? Like, what's the application today? Well, here it is. What priorities need to shift? Again, for believers, believers only. If you're a non-believer, you need to say yes to Jesus today. Then we can talk about everything else. Maybe you need to move from attending church once a month to twice a month. Maybe your calendar needs to shift so you can attend, again, the one-on-one class today. Not just so you can learn more about our church, but that you can be known. Maybe you need to commit to the church as a covenant partner. You've been standing on the outside, a little bit worried about commitment because I don't know what that means because God might ask me to actually do something for his namesake. Maybe you need to step up to serve on a service team on Sunday morning so that you can have the accountability of being here. That you can serve others with the gospel. Maybe you need to trust God completely with your bank account. You start giving to Him, trusting Him with everything that you have, being obedient to what He's called you to do. Please, I know something. The evil one will try to leak. He'll, he'll, he'll try to speak in there. This is not a legalism sermon. This is not a talk about the fact that your presence in church or your activity in the things of the church helps you make better standing with God. It does not. We established that earlier in a few moment, a few moments ago when I talked about the perfect work of Christ on the cross. We don't have to strive. We don't have to labor. We don't have to work or achieve anything to to be righteous before God because it is through Christ and Christ alone. But God does accomplish his purposes through the church. And he gave us the church so that we would, as explained to us in Hebrews, build one another up, help in the sanctification process, the process of being more holy, being more uh, like Jesus, looking closer to Christ, more in line with his will and his desires for our lives. And if you're like me out there, you really like practical things, you really like practical and tangible ways to do stuff, That's how it is. 
All the things that I just mentioned, all those options are ways that you can perhaps shift your priorities or take one step closer to be more like Jesus. They fall into two categories. They're being more known in our community of faith. Being more known is going to help you be more connected and going to help you be more discipled. And then secondly, growing in our submission to the Lordship of Christ Jesus in all that we do. Be more known and submit to the Lord. Hebrews is written with some very rich theological truths. They are to encourage us, but also they're to challenge us and to convict us sometimes. We'll see in the next chapter, as we move into chapter 4 in the next couple of weeks, the power of God's word in our lives. Verse 12 in chapter 4 says that God's word is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. There's a reason the author would write and use God's word in example as a sword is because sometimes it hurts, sometimes it needs to convict us, sometimes it needs to prune a little bit of us to make us more like Christ. Similar to these vines out here that you passed on your way in this morning. Man, a couple of months ago, they looked terrible. And I mean awful. Just tons of just branches, just all tangled in a mess around there. And they had to be, they had to be trimmed. They had to be pruned back. Each and every separate branch cut by hand, one after another, pruned back. Days of work, hours of labor. But now we get to see the beauty. We see the beauty when we come in. And that's exactly what God wants to do through his word. He wants to prune, he wants to cut, he wants to challenge, he wants to convict. He wants to change just a little bit more of your life so that you look a little bit more like him each and every day as you're sanctified in this life before he calls us to the next one. I'm going to invite the band back up. But the author continually reminds us here in chapter 3 and throughout the entire book, I believe, of Hebrews that the gospel not only delivers us from the penalty of sin, but from the power of sin as well. We will enter His rest in eternity with God because of the faith that we have in Christ. But just as importantly, like I said before, that rest starts now. It starts with your salvation, saying yes to God. Believe in God and His promises. Trust in the goodness of His ways as He directs your path. And I pray that He would direct your path to being more designed for community. For entering into that discipleship relationship, whatever that would look like. Whatever the next step is in that process of sanctification. Growing more like who Jesus is. So lastly, would we learn from the failures of the past? Would we sense the urgency of trusting and obeying Christ as today is still called today? And would we persevere to endure as we live and serve in gospel community with one another until Jesus comes back or he calls us home? We're about to sing a song of response. So we call a song of response. And the reason we do that is, is because the Holy Spirit is present. I believe that in this place. And he's spoken to you today. I pray that he's spoken to you today. And so in this song of response, God's calling you to something. We say yes to him. Maybe it's because you need to place your faith in him. Maybe you need to reorganize your schedule so you can come to one-on-one today so we can know you and we can care for you and we can encourage you in the things of God. I don't know what it is, but the Lord's gonna do something. So let's stand together and let's praise God this morning. Let the Lord 
Thanks for listening to the preaching of God's Word at City Church Melissa. We meet Sunday mornings at 9 and 1045 a.m. at 2300 Vineyard Hill Lane, and we hope to see you there soon. City Church Melissa, for the glory of God and the good of the city.